Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So we're doing a series called Haters Gonna Hate. And last week we started going into the imprecatory psalms. And a lot of us had no idea what they were, <laughs> um, including me when I started really looking into it. Um, but these are psalms that are not like, they don't usually turn into a Hillsong song. Uh, these are psalms where the psalmist, usually David, sometimes other people, are praying to God and calling down curses and God's wrath on their enemies. Um, so it automatically got a lot of people's attention just because you're like, okay, how do I do that? Uh, and, uh, and we didn't really get into the how-to, uh, and, and you know, I, I misspoke. Uh, I don't know what the, the verb would be when it calls to um, call imprecatory psalms upon someone, but what we learned last week is you don't impregnate people. Um, that's not the right way to describe it. Uh, <laughs> not the right way to describe it. But tonight, it's going to be kind of like, last week we talked about how God is a God of justice. He's love. He's the lamb, but he's also the lion. He's also God of justice. Tonight, we're gonna, it's gonna be kind of like a how-to. Um, how-to pray imprecatory prayers. Um, pray prayers for God's justice. Uh, so last week, the lesson was called Shake It Off. And we talked about how there's some things you just can't shake off in your life. Some things that have been done to you, you can't just shake off. Tonight, the lesson's called Bad Blood. And... We're going to talk about what it means to have bad blood, and you know, when you think about some famous, I guess you could say rivalries or bad blood um, instances between people, um, I kind of thought of some historical ones and some more current ones. Uh, one of the historical ones, they even made a play about it, um, it's Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Um, you know, we, we think the political discourse is pretty bad right now, you got people tweeting back and forth at each other. Um, Alexander Hamilton, who was the Secretary of the Treasury in 1804, and Aaron Burr, who was the Vice President in 1804, they couldn't get along, so instead of tweeting at each other, they decided, let's have a duel. So, I mean, they, they, did, they, they fixed things the old-fashioned way. You know, I mean, they had a pistol on their side, they took 10 steps, turned, and fired, and uh, poor Alexander Hamilton, he came out on the, the losing end of that duel. Uh, so maybe, maybe we could learn from that. Um, Another one, this is kind of more local, but it's historical, it's the Hatfields and the McCoys. Uh, usually, anytime we talk about that, there's always one person that's related to one of those families. Anybody related to one of those feuding families? Okay, Blake. Um, maybe that's why Blake is such a, is, is such a feuding person. No, I'm joking. Blake's like the nicest person ever. But you, know, you have the Hatfields and the McCoys, two families that were always like at war with each other. Uh, if, we, if we did a basketball analogy, um, there was the good guys, UNC, and the bad guys, Duke. And obviously, God is a UNC fan. Uh, because he, in his you know, sovereignly made Zion Williams shoe, Williamson shoe, you fall apart. So we know God is a Heels fan. Uh, but that's like a bitter rivalry that goes way back, um, right? And then maybe more recent and more interesting to some of you guys um, are, are these two ladies who had a pretty uh, bitter rivalry. And actually, supposedly, the song Bad Blood was written. Emily confirms this. We have the expert, you know, we have the expert confirming this. It was written because of, a, are you surprised I know this, a feud between Katy Perry and, uh, and Taylor Swift, and she wrote the song Bad Blood. So there's all these you know, famous rivalries, um, haters that are hating each other. So the question is, and we, we thought about this a little bit last week, who's the hater in your life? Who's the, who's the person that has bad blood towards you, I guess you could say? I had a couple of people tell me last week after the lesson, they're like, well, Matt, it was an interesting lesson. It was you know, entertaining, but... I don't really have any haters in my life. 
So I, yeah, what am I supposed to do with this lesson? Well, take good notes and hold on to it because at some point in your life, <laughs> haters gonna be hating. Uh, you're, you're gonna encounter someone who, for whatever reason, does not like you and wants to do you harm and wants to do you wrong. Why, why, do, people, why do people hate? Well, sometimes, we'll talk about this tonight, sometimes you're the reason. You know, you're the one who kind of start, you, know, you, you did start the fire. Um, not to quote another song, but you, know, you, did, you did start the fire. You, know, you're the, you created the issue in your life. The reason that people are, 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 are you know, wanting to do you harm is because you did them harm. But then there are sometimes when, through no fault of your own, people, are, people pick on you because you look a certain way or you act a certain way, you come from a certain family. Because you take a, I don't want to say take a stand, but because you live your life according to God's word and that kind of convicts other people and rather than conform to God's word, they'd rather just kind of pile on you and feel better about their disobedience of God by picking on your obedience of God and they start, they start piling on you. So how do you handle that when someone does you wrong, when someone hurts you, when someone's doing wrong to you? Well, there's a couple options. You know, first you can ignore it, you can pretend like it doesn't exist, but you know, what you'll learn is you, you can only do that for so long before you just can't take it anymore um, and before it catches up with you. Um, you can fight back. Yeah, some of you are really good at that. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, you know, if somebody doesn't like you, you just write a song about them. You know, that, that's, that's, how, that's how some people do it. You're, you, know, you, you find a way to flame on them, you find a way to, you know, to, to hate them, you freeze them out, you do something, and, and you fight back. And then the other option, I guess, is you could internalize it. You could, you could, you don't pretend like it doesn't exist, but you're just, you just bury it deep inside. But it's kind of like a volcano, you know, it's eventually going to come out. It's eventually going to boil over. I'd like to present a fourth option. The fourth option is we turn this over to God because God is infinitely more able, willing, and just to handle this than we are. Uh, so for those of you that have been trying to handle it other different ways, by ignoring it, by fighting back, by internalizing it, how's that, you know, how, I can't remember who said it like this, but how's that working out for you? Yeah. How, yeah, how's that working for you? Um, probably not very well, right? Because that's not God's plan. And even the haters in our life, we need to bring under, this is kind of a, a big term, but we need to bring it under the lordship of Jesus. Meaning God needs, God should have access and control of every area of our life, even including the area of our enemies. So we're gonna turn to Psalm 59 tonight, and we're gonna read Psalm 59. And we handled maybe the most difficult imprecatory Psalm last week, you remember that one? It ends with like a, a, a zinger, you know, um, you know, calling for you know, dead babies. Uh, so the, uh, that could be considered a zinger. But tonight we're in Psalm 59, and there is some context or situation going on here. Um, most of you in your Bibles, it says this before it gets into the, the verses. It says, for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy, which sounds like an 80s song, by the way. But uh, to, the, <laughs> to the song of Do Not, it sounds like a Bon Jovi song, I don't know why. But um, anyway, uh, to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David, a mitkim, which was a musical term. And then it tells you at what point in David's life this psalm was written. It says, when David had sent men, or excuse me, when Saul had sent men to watch David's house and to kill him. And we could start by reading these verses, but before we do that, since we know like the situation in which these verses were written, it'd be more, I think it'd be more helpful to, to us to understand David's mindset and his surroundings when he wrote this. 
So if you have, you know, if you have your Bible and you're, you know, by the way, uh, we handed out notes and tag to anybody that wanted one. If you didn't get your notes in your tag group, um, I think David has a couple extra, um, and you, know, you can just uh, raise your hand and David will run them over to you. But um, maybe in your Bible or in your notes, you may want to write this kind of to the side. I wrote this next to Psalm 59 in my Bible that. 1 Samuel 18 through 19 gives you the story behind the song. You ever, you ever watch like one of those things like the story behind the song by like, you know, you, somebody will do a profile on your favorite singer, you find out what, like why they wrote the particular song they wrote. Well, this is the story behind the song. Most of us know David. Um, he's popular for like one thing, right? Um, he's popular for killing the giant, right? You learned about that in Sunday school, right? You know, you've got the big giant, you've got little David. David wasn't as little as you think. David was probably most of your age. He was probably a teenager who was getting ready to transition into adulthood. But, you know, we all kind of know the story, right? Goliath was the Philistine leader and the Israelites were afraid to fight the Philistines because of Goliath. So they're all kind of cowering and Saul, who was the king, is like, guys, he's too big, we can't, we can't beat him. David, the teenager, just kind of walks up and he's like, oh, that guy? Let's go get him. He, you know, he, fills up, you know, he fills up his his pocket with some stones. He walks up to Goliath. Goliath, Goliath laughs at him. David, you know, you like that move? Got to work the hip thrust. And hits Goliath right between the eyes. Goliath falls down dead. David, I mean, he's such a, such a barb. You know, I, I love it. Like, this is like a movie. He runs over. Goliath falls. He runs over. He grabs Goliath's just Megatron-type sword cuts his head off, grabs Goliath's head by the hair and lifts up his head, and I can just see him screaming. Like, you know, he's like, ah! So the whole Israelite army who were like quivering in fear, then the, yeah, David lifts up the head, he's like, ah! The Israelites are like, yeah! And they take off and they storm the Philistines and they rout them. David becomes a war hero. David becomes the most famous man in Israel. So they march back to the capital of Israel and they go into the city and Saul's like, well, David, since you're such a fearsome battle guy, why don't you go lead Israel's army again and again and again? So David, you know, Saul's sitting in the palace eating grapes, you know, the king. David's leading the army out to battle, getting all these wins and all these wins. So it's a pretty, kind of like a win-win for Saul, right? He gets to eat the grapes, David gets to fight the wars. But the problem is people start supporting David the warrior more than Saul the king. So David, after, it says after in Psalm or in First Samuel eighteen, after like his latest military conquest, he comes into the city with his armies, and all the women of the city are lined up down the street, and they're singing a song to David. I don't know how the song went, but the song went like this: Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. So I don't know. You could make up whatever tune you want to that song and do that later. Maybe Jackson and George could put together like a little like a little song. I don't know, but. So Saul hears the, all the women in the town singing to David. Oh, David killed his 10,000. Saul only killed his thousands. And Saul becomes very jealous. Saul sees David as a threat. So Saul's logic is, if I have a threat, I want to be able to keep my eye on him. So Saul moves David into the palace to be his personal harpist. So, you know, David sits there at the throne room with Saul, and you know, he just plays music for Saul. He's playing like Jack Johnson or whatever, something like super acoustic, you know, and he's playing it on the harp, you know, and, 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 Saul, you know, and Saul thought that would take care of things, but now Saul has to see every day the person that he's jealous of. So the Bible says an evil spirit entered into Saul, and Saul was bent around one thing, kill David. He was so bent around it, he didn't care who he heard in the process. He gave his daughter... Michael, 
poor girl, was named Michael, um, gave his daughter Michael to David in marriage on the condition that David would go kill, I think it was a thousand Philistines and bring back a certain part of their body that I'm not allowed to mention. Um, and um, yeah, go look it up. It's you know, the Bible for adults. Um, and um, that, that David would come back with a hundred of these Philistine body parts and he thinks, oh, David's gonna get killed. So this will work out perfect. I'll say, David, you can marry my daughter if you bring back all these Philistine body parts. But guess what? David doesn't bring back a hundred of them. He brings back a thousand of them. So so Saul's like, oh, here she is. Here's my daughter. Go get married. David becomes friends with uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. And David's sitting there playing the harp and playing the harp. And finally, Saul gets so upset, so jealous, he picks up a spear, which I guess he just has random spears sitting next to his throne, right? Because everybody does that. He picks up a spear and hurls it at David to kill him. David, I guess, you know, spear of God came on or something. He does like a matrix move, like one of those like, you know, mate, you're too young to remember the matrix, but it's like, when he dodges the spear, he takes off and he runs to his home. He runs to his house. He retreats to his house. He locks himself in his house. So then Saul, it's getting to be evening. Saul rounds up some of his most fearsome warriors and he sends them to David's house. He says, surround David's house. When it becomes morning, because it was considered to be dishonorable to kill somebody at night, when it becomes morning, I want you to wait till David comes out of his house and I want you to kill him. So David, locked in his house, he peeks through his blinds and he sees all these warriors there waiting to kill him. Imagine if like SEAL Team 6 was outside of your house and you knew that the moment you stepped foot out of your house, bam, you were gone. I'd be pretty scared. David was in a tough spot. This person who was over, just consumed with hate for him, had him cornered and had him trapped. And in that situation, David wrote this psalm. So now, you see how it's gonna be helpful to understand that as we read this psalm? So now let's read the psalm together, and we're just gonna do our soap method. We're gonna get soapy. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So let's start with the scripture, Psalm 57. This is David's prayer to God. He says, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie and wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I've done nothing wrong, yet they're ready to attack me. Arise to help me, Lord. Look on my plight. Your Lord Almighty, you who are the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at the evening, snarling like dogs and prowl around the city. See how they spew, what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp as swords. They think, who can hear us? But you laugh at this big butt of the Bible here. But you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at those nations. You are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. God will go before me, and he will let me gloat over those who slander me. Ooh. But do not kill them, Lord, our shield, or my people will forget, and your might uproot them and bring them down. For the sins of their mouth, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them in your wrath and consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. They return at the evening snarling like dogs, prowl around the city. They wander for food and howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. God, you are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. 
So I just kind of want to show you, if, if you're taking notes, uh, I want to show you three things from this, um, from this passage. Before we do, I took this passage, I kind of like broke it down and divided it based on a couple things. And it's on the next slide here. But um, in this passage, 14 times David asks God for something. Um, in in, in you know, theological terms, that's called supplication. Uh, <laughs> The, the, the easy way to remember it is just David asks for stuff. <laughs> um, he asks God to supply what he needs. So obviously, this is, the, this is the, the main focus of this passage in the Bible, is asking God for something. You know, it, asking God for things shouldn't consume like all of our prayer life, um, but there's nothing wrong with asking God to supply what you need. Um, so the, but then... He spends 11, I don't want to say verses, but there are 11 times where he like calls out the evil in his enemy. He calls out the evil in the haters. Uh, so what we can learn from this prayer is that you, it, you, can, you can call people out in front of God. Like in your prayer time, in your personal prayer time, you can express to God the, the evil that's going on in your life. And then 11 times, he recognizes God's strength and how great God is and how powerful God is. So it's an interesting correlation, right? For every time he recognizes how evil an enemy is, he recognizes how good God is. And then it's interesting, only two times does he recognize any role that he has, David has, the psalmist has, in the situation. So really this prayer is about stepping back and allowing God to take care of the haters, of, of the people who are doing wrong. So it's interesting. So there are three observations we can make from this, um, from this passage. And the first one, um, the first one you may not like is that you need to be honest about your role in the situation. You know, you got haters in your life. Um, you know, just kind of refer to the meme. Um, you know, it says she's tired of all the drama, starts drama. You know anybody like that? Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but usually the person who complains about all the haters and complains about all the drama in their life is the most dramatic person you'll ever meet. Yeah, yeah or is it just me? Anybody else notice that to be true? Like, like, dramatic people usually have a lot of drama in their life, right? Um, but look at what David says, and look at what he knows to be true. Look at verse three. It's the end of verse three into the beginning of verse four. It says, fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I've done nothing wrong, yet they're ready to attack me. David can get before the throne of God and honestly say, not that I've done nothing wrong my whole life, but in this situation, I've done nothing wrong and they are still attacking me. So before you impregnate, I think we're just gonna roll with that word because you're gonna listen and you're gonna laugh at it, right? Uh, but before you go in praying a prayer like this, maybe put it this way, before you can pray verse 13, you need to read Psalm 51 and you need to read Psalm 139 because David, what we learn about David's prayer life is he had a very active life of confessing his sin to God quickly and also asking God to search him. In Psalm 139, David prayed a prayer like this to God. He said, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Sometimes we're so focused on the evil that we see that's being done to us that we haven't, uh, Brian up here, we haven't opened up our heart to God and asked him, God, do I have a role in this situation? 
Uh, one thing we should be doing very frequently is having a spiritual checkup with our Heavenly Father. You know, I always got, like, when I went to Grace and I played soccer, I always got this thing in the mail when it's time for sports physicals. You know, you have to do a sports physical every year. And the front side of the card said, it's time for dot, 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 dot. And the back side said in big letters, sports physicals with three exclamation points. Like, who gets that excited about a sports physical, right? But, but it, it, it's important to have a checkup, and it's important for us to have a spiritual checkup. Like some of us, you know, there's a lot of drama in our lives, but when's the last time you turned your head and coughed and had a spiritual checkup, right? So be honest about your role in the situation. Can you honestly say, can you honestly say that you're willing to give this situation to God? Are you willing to let God handle this? What if the person that's hating you gets saved? Are you willing to allow the wrath that Jesus suffered on the cross to cover their sin? So you gotta be honest about your role here. If you're coming at this saying, ha ha, I finally found a way that I can get back at him because I can pray God's wrath on people. Like this is exciting and this is fun. Like yeah, I found the next year, I'm just studying the imprecatory Psalms, baby. As they say, let's have a heart check. Let's check your heart, okay? Um, so move to the next one. You gotta be honest. We're gonna be coming back to this too for each point. Be honest. You Hold on, don't go to the next one. Be, be honest. It's hard to be honest with ourselves. Get before God and be honest. Okay, now we can go on. Let God do the fighting. Uh, you know, it's no coincidence that there are 11 references to the evil done by the enemies, and there are 11 references to the might or power of God in this verse. I got this picture. I don't know if you can see it from here. Um, this is what I would say maybe the stereotypical Sunday school picture of Jesus. You know, this was on your flannel graph in Sunday school maybe. Yeah, you know, this was, you know, this, when we, this was the first, what, here's what I did, you know, gotta be careful with Google image search by the way. But I Google image searched Jesus. And this was the first picture that popped up. And I think this is probably the first picture that pops up in a lot of people's minds when they think of Jesus. They think of this, they think of this like kind of meek, mild-mannered, well-groomed person um, who was strangely European-looking, even though he lived in the Middle East. Um, and he was like caressing a lamb, or he has a child on his lap, and he's very soft-spoken and very gentle. And... Uh, yeah, all of that is true. I don't know about the European and well-groomed part, but all, all, that is true about Jesus. Remember last week we learned he came, as the, he came as the lamb, but that's not Jesus anymore. That's not the way in which he is acting in relation to the world anymore. The next time Jesus comes, he's coming as a righteous judge. And look at the parallels here. You're gonna need, if you have your Bible, you're really gonna wanna look at these. It talks about how, he talks about how his enemy lies in wait but when your enemy lies in wait, you look at verse five, and it says that God is the Lord God Almighty in verse five. Maybe in some of your versions, it says the God of hosts. Anybody is their version say God of hosts, right? In the ESV, um, God of hosts. What this word in Hebrew refers to is the God of the heavenly hosts. Chris Tomlin, I think, in one of his songs says it like this, the God of the angel armies. You realize that where Jesus is in heaven right now, I, I like this picture. I like this picture, but you know what you also need to see? You need to, like, 
Christian art is just bad. So for those of you that are artists, please, 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 please get us some Christian art that's good and not cheesy looking, okay? Okay. But you know, some of you, you look at this, and you need to look at this, but you've forgotten about this. You've forgotten that around the throne room of heaven are thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of fearsome angels that surround the throne that at one command of Jesus, they go into spiritual battle and they slay demons and they slay giants. Anytime, you know, don't get me on my angel rant, but you know, angels were not effeminate looking men with wings in the Bible. Every time that people encountered an angel in the Bible, the first reaction was, ah, right? Because angels are fearsome warriors of God. And Jesus is the God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. So when, as it says in in, in Psalm 51, when the enemy conspires against you, when it lays in wait, you have the God of angel armies. When the enemy returns and comes back, you think you got rid of it and comes back, verse nine, you see that God is your fortress. When your enemy snarls at you or lashes out at you, God is your shield. When your enemy is on the prowl, God is your strength, verse nine. When your enemy is running their mouth at you, any of y'all got an enemy that runs their mouth? Somebody hating on you that runs their mouth? When your enemy is running their mouth? I kinda like this one. Remember, we have to be careful. But God is, when your enemy is running your mouth, God is laughing at them. I'm serious, look at verse, look at verse eight talks about how the enemy talks and thinks nobody hears what they're saying against David, and he says, but you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at the nations. And some of you, you know, you got to be careful, right? You can't, you you, got to be careful. Don't let your flesh take over here because some of you are like, ha, God is laughing at us, Sally. You know, God is laughing at, I don't know, what are some names of, I shouldn't ask you for names of people God should laugh at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God is laughing at Gertrude, you know, because all the stuff he's saying about me. Refer back to point one, remember? Check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Make sure there's nothing in between you and God, right? But what, here's what we know is that, you know, is that God will have the final word. When it seems like your enemy is getting away with it, ever been in that situation? They come out smelling like a rose, you come out smelling like a pig and they're the one that did wrong. When you think your enemy is getting away with it, God sees what really happened. You know, one of the focuses of David's prayer is he says, see, verse three, see how they lie and wait with me. Verse four, look on my plight. God sees. And when your enemy won't let up, this is a verse that's repeated twice. It says in verse nine, and it says in verse 17, that God is someone on whom you can rely. We need to let God do the fighting. We can't get in God's way. I understand that God is sovereign. But some of us, I think God chooses not to intervene in situations because we're so busy fighting a losing battle that we don't step in and watch God come in and save the day. This is not your fight. And see, this is what David did. He abdicated, we don't use the word abdicated much, do we? He, he gave up the fight. He conceded the fight and he stepped back. Yeah, the enemy was over here and God's over here and he stepped out of the middle and let God take care of business. And for some of us, that's what we need to do. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, how's that working out for you? Fighting against the haters on your own. We need to step back and let God take care of business. And here's the third thing. Here's kind of like the third point is that we should pray boldly and justly for the glory of God. And here's kind of the how to, imp- how to pray imprecatory prayers. Uh, <laughs> I, got the bad, I, got, I got the evil looks when I said impregnate last time, so I'm not gonna say impregnate again, okay? I won't say impregnate again. Um, 
Pray boldly and justly for the glory of God. Look at the outline of David's prayer. I should have put this in the notes that you could fill in, but I didn't. So you, know, you may want to write these down. Now, the first thing that David prays for is God's deliverance and his protection. Look at verses one and two. He says, deliver me from my enemies, God. Be my fortress, that's protection. Deliver me from, my evil, from the evildoers and save me. God said, you know, David is saying, God, I need you to save me. God realizes, he, David realizes he can't get out of this situation on his own, he needs God. And some of you, you get into situations or you don't get, your people put you in situations where there's no good way out. You know, they cut, you know, it seems like they come out looking like a rose, you come out smelling like a pig, there's no good way out of this situation, but God can deliver you. Sometimes he delivers you out of situations, right? Sometimes he delivers you through situations, but either way, God delivers you. The next one, pray for God to expose the truth. Verses three and four, he says, see how they lie in wait. Arise to help me, look on my plight. Then further in verse five, he says, rouse yourself to punish the nations. So some of the things that happen to you, nobody knows about. Some of the things that are done to you, some of the ways that people bully you, that because of your faith or because of the way that you live your life, you get picked on, hurt, reputation destroyed, and nobody else sees what's going on because it's done like very insidiously. It's done like, it's done like you know, through Snapchat and it's done like in these very like, like subversive ways that you know, your parents don't notice, teachers don't notice, a lot of your friends don't notice, but it's happening. We can pray that God will expose the truth. And what's so interesting is when God's light shines on darkness, there's no running from it. So we can pray that. That's within God's plan and his will for us to pray that. The, the major thing that David spends a lot of time praying for is praying, so we, you know, he prayed for God's deliverance and protection. If you're writing these down, he prayed for that God would expose the truth of what was going on. He prayed for God's justice to prevail. He spends a lot of time praying for God's justice to prevail. Let's look, you look at some of these verses, starting in verse five. Rouse yourself to punish the nations. Yeah, that's kind of like a, you know, not, that, you know, not that God is you know, an emotionalist and needs to get fired up, but essentially this, this is what David in his desperation is saying is, God, get fired up about this evil that's going on. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. Wow. But then look at verse 11. He says, but don't kill them, Lord. <laughs> For me, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's hit him with a bolt of lightning. You know? <laughs> you know, let, you know, let's, let, let's hit little Johnny with a, no offense, John. Let's hit little Johnny with a bolt of lightning because I don't like what he said. But what is he, he says, don't kill them, Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. So it's interesting, some of us would like nothing better than for God, yeah, the, the proverbial, maybe literal, lightning bolt from heaven and just come down and bam, nail one of our haters. You know, put them in their place. But sometimes that's not God's plan because God wouldn't get the glory because of that. Look at what he asked. He says, in your might, uproot them and bring them down. And he says in verse 12, let them be caught in their pride. So what David is praying for is that in the evil that was done to him, it would be an example to other people about how God is just. Yep, I say this with all the compassion I can, but in some situations, like in your school, one of the best things that could happen is if somebody has been doing wrong to others in their school is that they'd be publicly discovered for the wrong that they've done 
so that people can see, first off, that it's wrong, and secondly, that there are consequences for that wrong. So back to the prayer that God would expose the truth. What he's saying is, God, I want your justice to prevail, and I want everybody to be able to see it so they can give you the glory. Then he says, consume them in your wrath, and look in verse 13, and this is the final, like the fourth part of his prayer. He prayed that God's glory would be made known. This is like all of the things that he asks God revolve around this verse 13 here when he says this. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. We don't pray these prayers. We don't pray God's justice to come so that we can get some sick or twisted fun out of watching somebody else suffer. We pray this, we desire God's justice so that people will see Jesus as both the lion and the lamb and that they will worship him and they will see him for everything that he is. Yeah, I think maybe the reason that we don't, that, that, that we ask people to come to church, we tell people about Jesus and it just doesn't seem to stick in their lifestyle is because they only see Jesus as this and they don't see Jesus as the number two slide <laughs> that, that we showed. Um, so we pray for God's, God's glory. So finally, just to write these down in your notes, what are two things you can do as you leave? You know, maybe you say, Matt, well, the haters really aren't that bad right now. You know, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, or some of you are like right in the middle of, there are some, there are some Rough things going on in your life. I mean, people are making your life, I've been there before, people are making your life terrible. Like, you wake up in the morning, your eyes open, and you're like, I really wish I didn't have to go to school and see those people or run into those guys at lunchtime. Here are two things that you can pray and that you can, they're more like declarations that you can make. These are the two declarations that David made, the two action points in the whole 17 chapter. There are only two action points on his part. And here's the first. My, he, he declares this. He says, my God will go before me and will let me look in triumph over those who slander me. My version says it very <laughs> interestingly. It says it like this. God will go before me and let me gloat over those who slander me. Now, that, to me, that, that creates a picture that I don't think this verse means. You know, it creates a picture of like, you know, like, like, like if Cassidy does me wrong, you know, and, you know, and, and something bad, you know, and God's justice, Cassidy, front row, picking on you, and God's justice comes on Cassidy, I can be like, ha, 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 told you! You know, that's not what we're talking about here, and that's not the, the thrust of this verse. The word here, in a lot of your translations, it says, look in triumph over those who slander me. It has to do with that you won't fear those who have it out for you. That you know, when you cross by their paths in the, in the hallway, that you don't have to be afraid of them because your God is the God of hosts and he goes before you. The second thing, and this is kind of something that you do, it says in the midst of my trouble, I will sing of God's strength and his love. Verse 17 says it like this, you are my strength, I sing but you remember the situation that David wrote this in? Remember, he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't sitting in a, in a Starbucks drinking a, a, a you know, um, vanilla bean frappuccino and having a good day. You know, this was, you know, all you girls out there drinking your vanilla bean frappuccinos thinking you're coffee buffs. Anyway, um, David was in the thick of it, right? He was in a desperate situation when he wrote this. And what does he write? He says, I sing praise to you. The last time you were bullied at school, did you feel like singing praise to God? The last, time somebody, the last time somebody hurt you, did you feel like singing praise to God? 
Praise is a choice. And what does he do here? He says, you're my strength. I'll sing praise to you. You're my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. Um, an, An old dead guy said it like this, and I think he said it really well. The music of the sanctuary is often the result of the trials of the saints. And that's true. Out of David's, and by the way, God did deliver David out of that situation. David went on to escape. He became, Saul was killed in a battle. David became king of Israel, and God's justice was like, boom, right there. And remember we talked about last week, God, yeah, we may not experience the totality and the fullness of God's justice until Jesus comes back and sets himself up as you know, the, the literal physical king over the earth, but God delivered David. But before he delivered David, David wrote this song. So maybe for some of you, this situation you're in, this, the, the, this situation where there are people that are haters in your life and they're, they're hurting you, a song is gonna rise out. It may not be a literal song, but a song is gonna rise out of this. You're gonna look back and you're gonna be able to praise God for what he did in your life. So the final declaration is, in the midst of my trouble, I will sing of God's strength and his love. I don't know if there's any better like defense of Christianity than to see someone who's a believer in Jesus, who is having a terrible day, a terrible month, a terrible week, a terrible year, but you can't stop them from praising God. I want that. So let's pray, and we'll get out of here. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together. God, thank you for your strength, and your power, and your might. Uh, Thank you, God, that while others and sometimes even ourselves, um, they, they fake it and they portray themselves as one way, but the way that they act is really totally against the way that you would have them to act. Um, the God that y- you see right through that. Um, there's nothing that escapes your vision. Um, there's nothing that's been done to us or by us that you haven't seen. So God, I pray that we will rest in your strength. Uh, we will rest in you, the God of angel armies. And that even when situations happen in our life and people come into our life that makes it very discouraging and very difficult to press on, um, that God, they will not take away, they will not steal our praise. Um, Because God, that is what is due to you by us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.